What's going on? It's time for another episode of Too Hard for the Radio, transmitting from the future free state of Greater Idaho. I am the one-armed madman. And from southern, sunny Southern California, we've got Mr. Walty Wanders on the podcast today. Walty, thanks for coming on, man. It's a pleasure to have you. No problem, my brother. Can you hear me okay? We got a good connection? Yeah, I think we're good. All right, I let's think rock we and are roll, good. man. Let's rock and let's roll. Rock. So you're a moto guy. We're both moto guys. I think we're actually, man, the moto's so crazy. Like I, I wouldn't not be surprised if we've walked past each other, rode past each other in the pits. All the, you know, when I was living in Southern California, uh, it was a small world down there. So I'm surprised we never crossed paths. But so, how did you get into the moto industry? Yeah, my brother. So um, like most of us as kids, you know, I was cool. I was lucky enough to have a dad that was into moto. He opened up our town, uh, Santa Barbara here, Santa Barbara, California, the town's first motorcycle shop back in the day. And that was like a Triumph Norton shop, I guess it was before I was born, but he was kind of an outlaw. And um, so we grew up and then Honda came along and his partner, they ended up turning it into a Honda shop. My dad ended up going into business for himself, doing something else. But we grew up, you know, with a connection to the Honda dealership. So we grew up racing local races. And uh, so here in California, it was BMX, racing BMX and motocross. And then, of course, a lot of skate and surf and stuff like that. So, um so got into it pretty much, uh, you know, pretty young, five, six years old, probably my first bike racing by like eight, nine. And then about 16, I snapped my thumb um, and had to have surgery. And then I ended up becoming a singer in a punk band. And um, nice. and so that was like right out of high school for a few years. And then my buddies in my punk band, my punk band was called the Boxheads. And uh, we were just punk thrash high schoolers getting crazy. And my buddy started this band, a spinoff later called Pornstar. And it was just like a funny, cool punk rock kind of challenge authority name. And uh, their band kind of sucked, but they made a T-shirt and everybody wanted one. So my buddies in the band's dad, like the light bulb went off. We created Pornstar Clothing and it blew up to some multi-million dollar empire. And so I helped those guys with Pornstar Clothing. And then we ended up being a sponsor to triple x moto triple x we figured it'd be a great yeah. great fit for moto triple x because they're getting a lot of pushback from the industry and we were too as porn star and the ama tried to block us they did actually we had to change it to p star and then we had to go from moto triple x to x3 but when porn star got mismanaged it evaporated i ended up getting a job offer from triple x and uh, went to work with triple x and helped grow them and then when I left, they fit, uh, they ended up pretty much kind of, uh, you know, stopping. And uh, I started Motostar Clothing after that, went back to the industry with that. And that's pretty much the snapshot of my involvement in history in Moto. You know, when I still every once in a while, it happens to me. But when I see Chase Sexton, just like out of the corner of my eye real quick, I see that red 23. I think Kyle. Lu- oh, it's Kyle Lewis. We got a, we got a Kyle Lewis sighting over yeah, here. I, dude, I still right, right, right. can't shake it. That's true, dude. I never really thought about that, but you're right. You know, I was I always watch. I don't know about it, you, but a lot of times when I'm on YouTube, I'll get recommendations, and uh, old Supercrosses will pop up from back in the day. Those Bubba Ricky Reed battles, those three way battles, were so insane. 
And I was watching one last night. And it was like from, I don't know, maybe 06. And that was kind of, you know, in our heyday a little bit. We were, by that time, we were in yeah, semi trucks right. and big players in the industry with Triple X. And uh, Kyle was pulling whole shots left and right on the 450. It was, yeah. I think, 05. Most of the guys were still on two strokes. There was like Wyndham and a handful yeah. of dudes on four strokes. And then like 06. I believe that's when Ricky, it everybody, yeah, everybody went yeah. for a stroke. I was right there in that area. So like I, I was, um, I was not a good amateur racer as a kid. I was like a, a I started racing late. I didn't get onto a racetrack for the first time until I was like 15. I started riding when I was like four. So I was a good trail rider. And uh, I was a small kid too. I was tall. I was like six, two when I was 16, but I think I only weighed like 150 pounds. So I was in that 125. 252 stroke era for a while and then I got the four stroke and I was riding a, a KX250F and a KX252 stroke at one point in that time and that was just a a nightmare but man that was that was probably the most interesting time in moto because it really showed like who was good who was just good on the bike and who could adapt a lot of guys just disappeared in that era. There was, I rode with a lot of guys that were really good on 125s. And then you got them on the four stroke and they just couldn't do anything. Yeah, you know, it's funny you bring that up because last night it kind of dawned on me as I was watching. Because I think I watched one race and it was Bubba, Reed, and um, Carmichael. They're all on two strokes. Bubba on the Cowie, Ricky on the uh, Suzuki, and Reed on the Yami. And you could just see like how the bike's inertia wasn't there. I mean, you, you it was so light and and you really had to, you, you know, use a lot of body English to get. Then the next year when they all surfaced at A1 on four strokes, if you watch that first race, A1, and it's funny because you could just see like the approach into the whoops had to be way more precise like you'd have to set up for it because the bike was just so much more. It was just a tank compared to a two stroke. Yeah. So it was funny to watch these guys, like you said, adapt. And if you look at that early rate, like that first that season where they adjusted to the four stroke, you can just tell how the everything started to change in terms of how you're going to ride the bike. And yeah. it, it, it really was almost like you had to slow down to go fast. It was really, I never learned how to, I never learned how to ride a four stroke correctly. Like I, you know, as a, I, I kind of got off the rails there in my story. <laughs> I started racing a class in like 2006. I needed to put on like 20 pounds and uh, get onto the, the 250 F, but I never really learned how to ride the thing correctly. I just rode it wide open, like a 125 feather. And I went through clutches like crazy on that dang thing. But uh, yeah, well, I think most guys did. I mean, even I bet you if you talk to the pros and when they first got on that bike, yeah. they were trying to continue to ride the thing like a two stroke, you know? Yep. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I should have. My plan was to move to off road. I was going to, you know, get a 450 because I once I gained some weight, I you know, racing kids. Washougal was my track. Like at one point, I thought it was possible that I could maybe qualify at Washougal. That was my track, but man, you put a 140 pound kid on a, on a YZ 250F next to me on horsepower Hill and they were just leaving me in the dust. But oh yeah, you know, at the time the, it was still just so tough to get into four. And you know, 
racing's changed a lot since then. Like people have gotten older. Back then, I was, I think in 2006, I must have been 25 ish, something like that. And nobody was looking at, I mean, you were Moto Triple X, but you guys weren't looking at 25 year olds back then. It's like, ah, you're 25 and you haven't qualified yet. You're done. Now things are a little bit different where like people are racing into their 20s and it's uh it's interesting to see these guys hanging back in the 250 class cuz I always felt more comfortable on a 250. Everybody tell go get a 450. It's easier, you know, you'll you'll do better. You're you're going to have an easier time qualifying, less work on the bike, the whole works. But I get on the thing and I just didn't feel comfortable on it. Well, the sport is clearly elevated. I mean, point point in case is this. Let's take freestyle. Freestyle back in the heyday triple X, you know how we were they I was before I came along triple X a year or two after they started their race team. And but it all started Kurt Haller and I uh, was the main shot caller at triple X and he was a snowboard uh, filmer. Uh, he was doing some snowboard movies and it was really underground, no, not a lot of money in it. And then Jordan Burns, the drummer of Strung Out and Smelly Eric, the drummer of No Effects, which was a local band here in Santa Barbara. Oh, yeah. I know what No Effects And they approached Kurt Haller because they knew him from so the snowboard industry, I guess. And they said, hey, dude, there's this new thing blowing up. It's Moto and, and we should do a movie. We need a filmer and whatever. So they did Moto Triple X one and it, it went crazy. The timing was just perfect. Yeah. And so, you know, freestyle was kind of born through those early crusties and triple X and, and terra firma. And then a lot of those early movies that showed you kind of the chaos that went along with moto, because anybody that rides moto has yeah. a screw loose. Let's just be honest, right? You, you, you got to have a little bit of a screw loose to ride a motorcycle, right? Our parents warn us about yeah. it. It's dangerous. We know it. We love it. It is what it is. Uh, but freestyle elevated and then the holy grail is the backflip that it, nobody was willing to try it because we didn't really have foam pits. And even if you did, they weren't available to try to stick it at a contest. So when Hart kind of pulled that, that step up jump, just throwing a flip, got the bike to rotate and land, even though he didn't ride away, it, it's kind of opened the, the door for the, everything like the, with FMX went crazy X games, gravity games. But since then, it's kind of died down because the, the tricks died. are just like, there's really not a whole lot further. You can take it without killing yourself, which a lot of the riders started to do. And it was kind of like everything has a shelf life anyway. So that's kind of what I see with the moto industry right now, because it's all spawned from the track. It's all spawned from Jeremy's knack knack um, is really, if you chase it even further back and and so what I'm seeing out of the industry now is it's kind of hitting this plateau, which why is why I think the industry itself, I think a lot of it comes back to the crisis because when we had to go to empty stadiums and then they were holding up the series mm -hmm. with PPP loans, that's forgivable money that now our taxes pay for. A lot of companies, uh, you know, continue to operate with free money from the government. Mm -hmm. um, and so now with this, the sport, it's kind of twofold. One is the sport is elevating to the point now where the bikes are so fast the programs that the riders uh, are put into now are so refined such a manufactured machine where back in the day you relied on natural talent maybe you had yep. you know a decent team and bike but you had nothing like these riders are getting today and then the equipment with data and dyno and all the testing that yep. goes on. i mean it's just now 
it, it, it's almost to that point where it can't tolerate a whole lot more other than going electric moto, which would be, I think, disastrous personally, because who yeah. wants to see a gate drop with uh, no. remote, you know, electric bikes? The sound, the smell is part of the deal. And so yeah. I see the industry at this breaking point. I believe, and I wouldn't be surprised if Ricky himself uh, somehow is involved with the organization trying to usher in like playoffs and make it mainstream yeah. and blah, blah, blah. But I, I think we're at a point, like a turning point, because the sport is super elevated. The, 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 it's becoming more dangerous because there's so much more now, at, uh, you know, basically at risk. And, you know, you got to risk so much more. The bikes are just so powerful to try to keep them inside a supercross track. And it's crazy. you got to be precision. You know, you got to put that bike down, you know, spot your landings perfect. And so, yeah, it's kind of almost like freestyle in the sense we don't see X Games and Gravity Games anymore. You know, it's it's basically a carnival show or, or a pit party attraction yeah. with freestyle, where it used to be massive multi-million dollar industry. And it was something that mainstream motorsports didn't really want because it promoted kind of the alter ego that a lot of us uh, get to display when we're on our moto degeneracy, right? Like a degeneracy. Well, yeah. I mean, even back in the day when my dad tried to open this Santa Barbara's first motorcycle shop, they tried to block them from doing it because they didn't want a motorcycle shop in Santa Barbara. They thought it would be like, you know, bad boy club to town. And so it's just always kind of had that. So, you know, unfortunately the industry doesn't see that's part of its market appeal and it won't be mainstream. It has to be a niche market, but it's a market place uh nevertheless but they're completely trying to uh water it down and so what i'm seeing yeah. now is that potentially and i could be wrong this is just my take on it from my industry experiences and time in the sport and just you know all my experience combined really with economics and business and moto is i think we're hitting this point where if smx doesn't work and play they, they didn't call they didn't have this big idea like they should probably call it smx and do playoffs they did it out of necessity because after the yeah. empty stadium series and now we got to start making money again and there's no ppp to hold us up anymore yeah we have to re we they had to do a reboot and so this was part of this brainchild of somebody maybe ricky was involved thinking playoffs now maybe i'm wrong we haven't seen playoffs happen yet there's probably something there. It might be the future of the sport. All I know is they're sugarcoating it in a sense where I believe this is out of self-preservation, not out of innovation. I mean, the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. It's probably a little yeah. of both. And I don't know, dude. So, yeah. So the way I've, I've looked at the deal is when I was racing amateur, I was racing AMP GFI North, which is one of the biggest series in California. We're talking motor millions and millions of dollars worth of motor homes going on and we had free money you know this is pre-2008 so we hadn't had the housing crash yet i think that the moto industry really killed itself when they allowed yamaha to do whatever the fuck they wanted to bring that four stroke in they looked at that and said okay look we've got all these environmentalists up our ass about everything we're doing Let's throw them bone. We'll give them this four stroke and then we're going to be good. They're not going to, they're going to leave us alone. Now all they want is these two strokes gone. So they let the Yamaha do whatever they wanted instead of going, all right, look guys, this is a new thing. We never thought that this technology was going to be possible. 
So we need to take a look and see approach to this. And I think that they probably should have downgraded the CCs to like 350, 400 to make it competitive with a, with a YZ250 or a KX250. That way you could have just, you know, still had your races. The, the, when they moved to four strokes, they made it so much more expensive for everyone. Now as an amateur, you've got to own a four stroke bikes, another couple grand parts are going to be more expensive. You got to have, you know, a couple bikes still. So now you've got free money again after 2008 and they were on life support. And then, like you said, nail in the coffin, no, really, pandemic. That's a, that's a good point. I mean, it's really multi-layered because, uh, you know, having heard you say that, one of the things that comes to mind is, you know, it's really now a rich man's sport. And, you know, you it is back in the day when it was a two-stroke year, it was, it was easier to get your hands on bikes, more affordable to buy them and maintain them and make them competitive. And you could be just some backyard, you know, uh, kid from rural Alabama and all of a sudden start lighting it up and maybe show up at some yep. regionals and smokes. If you had talent, you could, you would probably end up, you know, getting a deal and, and being able to, you know, make your way into the pro series. But, you know, now it's, it, it takes so much money. I mean, it's, it's insane. So it's, it's now like a rich man's sport. And that's why a lot yeah. of times, like even with the, you know, Brian Deegan was an early triple X rider who was just pissed off angsty kid. Uh, did, you know, he had a horrible racing career other than his one supercross win where he gross rode the bike. I mean, that was another key moment in moto hit smartest, smartest thing he's ever. Done well, yeah. And it was more luck than, than anything else. Else, he, he probably, you know, didn't know what he, he I know he wanted to do that. And that's something that he had talked about if he ever found himself winning, he would do. And he, in fact, did. But I don't know if he understood the magnitude that it was going to end up having. Yeah. I mean, we got a lot of fines at Triple X uh, for him doing that. And the fans all came, uh, sent him money and, and paid for that fine, which was pretty cool. Um, but like with Danger Boy, I mean, that's kind of the way these kids come in now is unless you have a family with unlimited resources and you turn enough heads early on to maybe get the support needed to be ushered into the industry, um, you know, because it could have been a different story with Deegan. Had it, he, it, it, I'm not saying he wouldn't have made it, but I don't think he would have made it as easy if his dad wasn't Brian Deegan. No. And it's yeah. money. I mean, the money is a big deal right now. When I was, you know, I guess 22, I bought a brand new pickup and a brand new dirt bike. I paid 5,200 bucks for the dirt bike. It was an 06 KX250F. I got it for cost and I paid twenty-two, $23,000 for my brand new pickup. Now, I mean, my buddy just bought a brand new pickup. He wouldn't even tell me how much he paid for it. He goes, I can't, I, I just can't tell you. I know he paid over a hundred grand for it. Insane. And you want a house to put the, that bike in the pickup in? <laughs> I mean, you're there's another 400 uh, oh, grand. Yeah, and that's like with my other channel, my Scott Walters report, where I talk about, you know, the the inflation, the housing uh, bubble, like all the things, the car bubble, repos spiking, U.S. savings rate at an all-time low, U.S. debt, credit card debt at an all-time high. People are financing this whole casino climate that was born out of stimulus, this big money dump. And so these car payments, the average car payment or truck, in this case, it's like a thousand bucks a month. I forgot it was a high percent. Can you imagine paying a thousand dollars a month 
for your car payment? Can you imagine paying a hundred? You can, I can go sell you a house in many parts of the country, a decent house for a hundred grand. I couldn't even, you know, that's, it's insanity to me. For me, I'm not against going out and, and I'm just a cash guy. I, I'm not cash. Like yeah. I'm not going to finance anything unless I'm getting smoking rate. And I came in swinging with a big down where my cost to carry is really low, you know? So yeah, I mean, it's insane to me to think about there's there's car bubbles popping, repos spiking. I got people on my other shows, tow truck Terry's like, dude, you wouldn't believe it. I'm just getting buried in repos right now. And uh, commercial real estate, commercial real estate, empty. Of course, the crisis all, you know, just demolished that. No, but it's like the elephant in the room or it's just like being swept under the rug. Nobody talk about it. It makes perfect sense when you send people home, lock them at home and they leave their offices and you turn them into remote workers. What do you think is going to happen to commercial? Nothing good. Nope. Nothing good. Nope. We're seeing and, that, Yeah. And you started telling, and when you told people that six months ago, they, ah, you're crazy. The new economy is going to be at home gig work. You know, it's all, all zoom. It's going to be the zoom class now. No, yeah, it's exactly. It's not, not going to happen. Yeah. I mean, the truth is usually somewhere in the middle. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm just some dinosaur. I just know the law of averages, you know, historical data shows us if we chase, uh, you know, recessionary levels of downturns throughout recorded history, Every single time we exhibited the behavior that our economy just exhibited, they've in fact popped. So this, you know, everybody wants to say this time is different with the, usually the housing market because it's the biggest asset class in the world capable of delivering a knockout blow to the U.S. economy. And then the U.S. economy economy being the, you know, uh, world's reserve currency holder, um, you know, it'll have a global ripple effect if, if we go into recession. But we've always had recessions. We've always had booms and busts. But this one was really alarming because of the size of the boom and the in the artificial nature, the unorganic growth that you know was created. Then we have the social and political component that is you know with smash and grab robberies to defund the police to you know social you know let me breathe you know BLM. I mean everything's gone completely sideways and this thing's like it's almost like distractions to keep you looking over here to ignore this what's look going. at the weather balloon yeah right <laughs> exactly but it's China they've got a balloon yeah so for me like I don't know I guess it's just my nature because I grew up as a punker and then with triple x I mean I've just always had to deal with a lot of pushback or that's just kind of my nature like I'm a straight edge clean cut guy now like I've managed to bridge the gap from from that guy into an adult but I mean it's still you can't change the stripes on a zebra it's just still part of my the my chemical makeup the you know the fabric of my being if I see something that doesn't pass the smell test for me I should be able to voice my opinion and I clearly do that every chance I I get, you know, and so like with Moto, I just, you know, and that's what people always want. They always want a shock jock. They, you know, we want, we, if it, you know, we want shock value. If it bleeds, it leads. Like we want that, but we also want somebody actually, you know, giving us a, a take on in a way maybe that we've thought and just haven't heard somebody say it in, in a way that's, that's cool. And uh, not just going for clicks and ratings. It's actually like, well, you know, it's kind of true. And um, yeah, so it's it's been pretty cool to find out like guys like you and, uh, you know, there's plenty of people out there that are thinking this way, just afraid to speak up because we've seen this whole yeah. cancel culture, right? Yeah. You know, I I never really got into like 
Moto Media until I started the podcast. I, I'd turn on the race. I've watched every race for you, but I never really got into, I'm not going to listen to the shows and what do I, you know, what do I need that for? But what it does is it kind of puts blinders on you where you're just hearing, you know, Ricky and whoever talk and you don't really look at the problems and think about the problems. And it takes, you know, an insider who is someone like you or people like me, even lesser degree me, because I've been out of it for so long, but you need somebody to point out like, Hey, this isn't right. And when, when you sit back and you start thinking about it, you go, yeah, this is not right. You know, a few years ago, if you would ask me how racing's going, I'd say, well, there's less people in the stands, but I think we're in a good position still once the economy turns back around. Now, I don't think so. Like you were saying earlier with electric bikes, I think that, I think they're going to do the exact same thing with the electric bikes as they did with the YZM 400. Do whatever you want have a blast, make it as powerful as you possibly can, and just get it on the line. We don't care what you do. Just get it on the line so we can get these environmentalists off our backs, which I don't think is going to work. Yeah, I mean, nothing would shock me, I think, at this point, because what I see is what you see. I see attendance down. Um, I see a lot of Wall Street having a bigger presence in moto than they ever have. Um, and I see this whole SMX is not something that was really, if I don't think if it was for the crisis, we would have SMX. If I think COVID, I don't, I, I agree. If crisis, uh, the crisis had never came along. I think we still have indoors, outdoors and some off season rounds, which is the way it should be. And, um, you know, like I was talking when I was, when I launched MotoStar, it was in the last recession and I had to really go scratch and claw my way into the industry. I grabbed when I launched Motostar, it was kind of interesting. At that time, we were doing a lot of online gaming around like MX Reflex and some of some uh, the Moto games. And so I did a virtual team with Motostar. And I had a, I had, I made like this, there's a lot of tournaments and stuff that were going on around the game, Moto gaming and online gaming in the Moto industry with PlayStation. And, uh, yeah. and so I launched Motostar initially there and and then I did some shirts and then I, one of the guys is like, Hey, I got this buddy of mine. He's doing a, and he's doing lights this season. He doesn't have any sponsors. So I, I got him to rep the star moto star. And I went to a one and got some pictures and built a big social media presence. Like, uh, you know, uh, with the brand to give it this illusion of being bigger than it was. And then I attracted rock river Yamaha and got on the side of their semi and their bikes with like Ben LeMay. And then Zach Osborne was actually uh, there. I got a great Zach Osborne story. Yeah. So I, I guess Continue. my, I guess my point was, is that, you know, um, shit, what was my point? Uh, sorry. I've not all good, <laughs> but like when I, when we, oh yeah, that's what it was. So in the last great Great Recession, the 2008 era, I came into the industry with Motostar, and it was really tricky. And I broke into the industry with that. And then I ended up selling, the selling. I, I lost a strategic partner, and then I ended up getting into real estate. And, and so I kind of put Motostar in the back burner, which where is where it currently lives. I think not for the crisis. It's like this was pretty much something that came out of, crisis driven i just don't believe this would have happened other than crisis now it could have been yeah. coming at some point it was coming we probably was going to see the organization forced 
to revamp itself due to self-preservation or financial woes. Um, but I think that the crisis is what really ushered in what we're seeing now. And then with the agenda, with uh, leadership now pushing for like renewable energy and all this baloney, dude. Did you hear the latest one, dude? Scams. How about this one? They want to try to control the sun's rays now. They want to. Oh, yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. Like that's, I mean, are you think God's going to dig that? <laughs> think mother nature's gonna dig that if you start yeah dude doing chemtrails and i'm an energy guy yeah chemtrails. i'm an energy guy like half of this po podcast is, is is like centered around energy and climate so i can just go go crazy on this stuff it drives me absolutely uh, as a guy who like built power lines and understands how our grid operates these people are insane they want to put us like back in into a hunter-gatherer stage is, is what I, it's a depopulation movement right. essentially they want less people they want they want enough to where they can still have a civilization they want to be able to fly to rome and go to a nice restaurant they don't want to you know have to cook for themselves but they need to get rid of a whole lot of us oh, and the yeah. best way to do that is control the resources and tell them that they're dying I, i've been for the last like two days or three days i've been bookmarking every news I have like an app on my iPad where news comes up. Every time something related to climate change comes up, I've been bookmarking it. And it's, dude, five, 10, 15 different stories about how hot it is in Death Valley. It's like, it's fucking Death Valley, man. Right. They, they to act be, like it's never be been hot before. Yeah. They act like it's never been hot before. Well, I mean, I've here's the thing. Through, I mean, just like, oh. just like Moto, just like freestyle, everything has a shelf life. So, you know, unfortunately, sure. the planet Earth does too. Now, yeah. the, the realities are, this is like you said, yeah, the weather patterns are getting more extreme, but we've also, like you said, overpopulated the Earth. Now, some World Economic Forum probably thinks that they know what's best for you and me. And, you know, who knows, maybe some like virus could be ushered in and we could thin out some of the population that are no longer productive too population the elderly and we could thin some people out that are that are sponging up you know social security and whatever else but i i mean the truth is somewhere in the middle there's a lot of people that think possibly that was in fact the case with the crisis is this was ushered in to thin out the population who knows but the yeah. realities are like you said with climate change yeah i mean weather patterns are changing um, I don't think there's a whole lot. You can't mess with Mother Nature. It's going to do what they it's going to do. They lie with statistics. They use statistics to lie. The, what really is happening is the colder areas are getting a little bit warmer, and the warmer areas are going to stay about the same. Our storms are going to get a little bit more intense, but there's going to be a lot less of them. They do weird things where, like, they'll tell us, oh, our temperature is higher than it's been in the last, you know, thousands of years, whatever. But what they do is they go back in time and they go, well, we've got this mid uh, little warming period and this medieval colding period. Let's just get rid of those, throw them out, and we'll make this big hockey stick graph now. So it's all, it's all deception. Once you – here's a good question for you. How did you see through this shit? Because – from what I can tell, you were a real estate guy in 08, and it sounds like you might have got burned a little bit like a lot of people did. But a lot of people didn't see through this shit. Like, they just 
went and got a different, I know a lot of real estate agents or loan officers who went and bartended for a couple of years and then went right back into the industry. Like nothing happened. And they're still playing the same game, taking listings that are way too high, promising to sell things that they know they can't, you know, well, that's yeah, happening I mean, here, a lot up here right well, now. The light bulb really went off for me is so I like the rest of us. I'm living my life, doing my thing. And, um, we all of a sudden I hear lockdown orders and it was like, you know, everything changed overnight. And then I got news that, um, real estate agents now have been deemed essential. You guys are essential because they're during lockdowns, you know, they, they needed to keep, you know, the, the country running the world actually, uh, going I said that was the weirdest thing about this was a global lockdown it wasn't like we locked down a state or a city it was or the U.S. it was the globe that's not good but I was like okay so you're an essential worker and I didn't like being deemed an essential worker I thought that should be reserved for like dude at my grocery store at the gas station like essentials yeah. but as to keep the housing market from crashing they needed some movement so they uh made Agents essential, but we had to follow protocol. No open houses to the public, only one-on-one showings or virtual showings and, you know, gloves and sanitizers and this and that and the other. But at that time, we didn't really know this, if, if how, how uh, serious the virus was, how deadly. And so a lot of people were still very freaked out about even coming, open their door to let me come through their house to show it to anybody. So we stifled inventory. Then we dropped rates in order to stimulate movement in the economy and then so uh, upward pressure got placed on the on the industry my phone started ringing off the hook with mainly people searching the internet where it used to be pre-covid maybe 10 percent of the calls or people i worked with came through internet leads you know that most of them you're just your you know your sphere of influence where you work whether it's referrals mailers however you're getting business social media it all came through realtor and zillow and uh and so anyway, I was like, this isn't normal. Like this is the ungodly amount of calls. It's dominating my calls now and people begging and standing in line and overpaying and waiving contingencies and bidding. Even in the last bubble, 08 era, I never saw overpaying for real estate and waiving contingencies, inspections, not knowing the health of the, of the house, you just roll a full roll of the dice. So FOMO came in and it was herd mentality. I'm like, these people are getting, you know, just this is herd mentality and it's it's unorganic. It's not natural. So the government, when when the market started to exhibit that that type of behavior, they should have risen rates right then to cool this yep. down. Because if yep. we lose the housing market, we're going to lose everything. And, and if we exhibit bubble behavior, history tells us it crashes, it pops when you when you do this to the markets. We need to yep. stop. They did it. Stayed in their basements, ignored it. And so I had this moment of clarity. I said, I don't care if I have financial gain and this is like all great, I'm important and essential and make it all. I don't care because I lived through 2008, bought towards the top of that bubble, which this one makes last bubble look like a warm up, like kitty. Yeah, this yeah. is the end of the everything. So right I was like, you know what? And I saw some other uh, YouTuber running their mouth. I'm like, I'm not afraid to run my mouth. I'm going to run my mouth on YouTube. And then I, I just, one day, you know, I'm running my mouth for a month, maybe on YouTube. And then one video goes bonkers, you know, and this launches my, my channel. Next thing you know, I'm thrusted into the spotlight. And, and so then I felt, felt this gravitational pull to continue on. And, um, 
And so, yeah, I mean, now it's kind of less polarizing topic. And it was kind of funny because same thing with the industry, the moto industry, what I think it was the Deegan bike claim thing that went on at Loretta's yeah. caused me to turn the camera on, on some channel that I wasn't really using as a, a secondary channel, just that I used for, you know, just random personal stuff. And I ran my mouth about that bike claims thing with Deegs. And how I said, basically, this is all about their YouTube channel is what it circles back to. I mean, they have a massive multi, he's making way more money off of YouTube than he's making in the industry. It would appear based on my knowledge of uh, AdSense and, and, uh, you know, the way YouTube pays out, uh, based on their views, they're getting, you know, making a lot of money and uh, it is multi-layered, but um, so, yeah, I mean, I just kind of had that aha moment. I didn't pass the smell test for me, this whole crisis thing. I knew that there was just some BS. And then, you know, I mean, we could, circ- I could go on and on and on with the election and just so much stuff yeah. that I was like, you know, let's screw this. And I've been totally censored myself. Like, I've been copyright claimed. I've been now anytime I upload a video, it goes through a pretty massive uh, YouTube check. Uh, they check my whole thing before it posts. And sometimes, you know, I'll get like YouTube won't run ads. It'll be all ad suitability, uh, you know, not good. So, I mean, there's clear censorship going on. Yeah. They want to keep you in that <laughs> box where they're going to say, Hey, look, we let you go to this level, to this line. We got we'll let you go down to the 10 yard line with whatever, you know, video you got popular good good for you stay in that area yeah yeah exactly if you go over that area we're not gonna pay you but we'll pay you pretty good to stay in this area yeah exactly and and you know it's funny because what i've seen is luckily for my real estate channel i have an agent who uh, i get a lot of offers for paid promotion because it grew pretty big uh like about a year ago prior to interest rate hikes you know i was it was pulling you know pretty significant revenues and i get a lot of offers from companies but it was all this i didn't have time to negotiate this is what i want and then have them approve my piece that i produce for to promote their product i use a phone for everything it's not like i you know i just point and shoot kind of guy i'm not doing a lot of editing which of course i get tons of offers for that as well and sometimes i consider like i, I got probably step up my production value but part of the allure of my channel was you're editing you're editing on the walty wanders channel is amazing i love it (laughs) considering i just use a phone right yeah no it's great i use i use an ipad for everything it's amazing what you can do yeah this whole podcast runs on an ipad essentially but no your edits are great i love them the cutaways and the (sighs) back in the day (laughs) no it's great thank you i think it's great i love it thank you brother thank you thank you thank you yeah it's it's crazy and then so yeah with uh with youtube the real estate channel, I have an agent now that just handles everything. They're like, hey, Scott, there's a company, and they're all pre-screened. They handle all the contracts and everything. So I've got a new partner, Noble Gold uh, Investments, who, who I believe, like I own gold, and I believe you know, it's a good idea yeah. to diversify your money. Don't sure. have it all sitting in a bank or all in one place. You know, Spread it around a little bit, and, and precious metals has been around since the beginning of time. So I think there's nothing wrong. My dad owned it. So I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll do a deal with them. And so they've been really good to me. They've uh, really uh, been really good. I'm going on my third month with Noble Gold and um, they, their compensation package 
is awesome. Like I'll probably just remain exclusive to them at this point. Cause I don't really like to yeah. run paid promotion on, on YouTube too much because a lot of people think you're selling out. Um, so I like to stick with one company, a company that I actually believe in. And I believe that, you yeah. know, that should be the deal. And people should own gold. Like I'm, I'm all for people owning gold. I heard, I read a story a couple weeks ago on zero hedge. It was this couple, they were in their mid twenties. They'd just gotten married and they had taken over like a grandfather's house or something like that. And they're cleaning it out and they find a box in the attic and they open it up and oh my God, there's $50,000 in here. We're rich. Oh my God. Look at how lucky we are. And they're just glowing. And it's like, dude, I hate to tell you this, but your grandfather's a fucking moron. If he would have bought gold with that $50,000, look at how much money you'd have. Like, yeah, people got to get know. their money out of cash for the it's most part. Funny. Get it's into- funny because, you know, with the I have, I'm heavier in cash than anything. Well, no, I'm heavier in real estate than anything. But cash is what I'm second heaviest in. And I think, you know, it's good to have cash reserves. You want to be liquid because sure. you need to be able to pay your bills for, you know, like, if, like that was when the crisis hit, I was in a unique position to run my mouth on YouTube and sacrifice a sale because I knew I had enough money to at least hold myself up for a year uh, without income. And so that was pretty nice. And um, so, you know, I think cash is king, but in this new crypto and digital and uh, bank failure and recession environment, I think, you know, there's always been a flight to gold and recessions, not necessarily to increase wealth, but it's just to preserve wealth. To you know, to to pre- it's a it's a wealth preservation tool more more than anything yep. else. It's a better store of value than cash, right? Essentially, exactly. So, what do you think? I'm I'm a Bitcoiner. I've got I own some Bitcoin. I'm I'm pretty well diversified. I've got gold, silver, paper, gold, and silver. I'm in cash ETFs. I've, I'm, I, I've got a lot of cash right now because we're in like a, a wait and see period. We're still like, are, are we going to crash? Are they going to raise interest? I, I even heard, you know, Trump did a town hall a couple of weeks ago. He goes, we got to, we got to raise interest rates. The interest rates are or lower interest rates. They're out of control. And it's like, man, he bugs me when he does that because he should know that the interest rates need to go up. Well, he's we a fix smarter thing, guy so. than us, I believe, in, at least from a business sure. standpoint. But he's also a politician. So, you know, I mean, yes. he's, and he's trying to get he's trying to find his way back to office. So, you know, we got to kind of understand Trump's got to do what he's got to do in order to achieve his goal of running the country again. We didn't realize how good we had it until he was gone because he was just a shrewd negotiator negotiator and a businessman and he wasn't a politician he was a celebrity and so he actually i believe did a pretty good job and in retrospect in in terms of his replacement he was you know the lesser of two evils for sure so (laughs) sure you know it's kind of funny but um yeah i mean i think for me personally i'm kind of of the sense that we've got a lot to contend with in this go around. Everything's changed. Um, And so if we fail this time, we're going to see another bailout. Uh, A lot of bailouts be rolled out and we're already seeing it's just, there's too much going on right now. I think we'll be headed towards like a, you know, a completely new monetary system. If this system fails this time. And, and I think we'll, 
it's it's gonna it's not gonna be like oh eight at all. It's gonna be much different, potentially worse. It's it's weird because in oh eight, like I was a bartender in Northern California and there was not much going on. And me and all my friends were out of work. There was blood on the streets. People were hurting. When I go out here in, in the Treasure Valley, it's still boomtown around here. And I'm I'm still waiting for the blood in the streets, essentially. Well, you're right. I mean, the, that's why I think I love finding myself. Uh, Moto is my hobby. I love it. And it's, I got a bunch of experience in the industry and I'm a fan and I watch it religiously for many years. And so that's fun to report on the moto industry. But as a grown up now, I had to transition and raise kids and do all that and, and then pay my own bills and do that kind of thing. <clears throat> With my real estate channel, or economics awareness channel is you know we can really monitor the health and the fitness of the housing market that's the biggest asset class in the world that's why it attracts so many investors foreign and domestic alike this boom attracted more than ever witnessed in human history but it became a casino climate people were consumed with dumping their money into weeble robin hood bitcoin real estate, yeah. just invest. And we saw this in the Great Depression era from the studies that I've done where people started buying stocks on margin and financing everything. And so, the, and then it imploded. So this one, I believe, you know, we have to be monitor the health and the fitness of the U.S. housing market. Now we had run-ups occur across the nation. Some areas were boom towns, like for Boise, like where you're at now. Yeah. And they're still out there building. And the musical, it was kind of a game of musical chairs because in a low interest rate environment, it was super easy to build some spec homes, some tour units, pre-sell them, make people wait for their house. And that's insane. And so now a lot of these areas that had extreme run-ups due to migration, a lot of migra outward and inward migration occurred in some areas attracted a lot of Californians to Texas or Boise or wherever the case may be, Nashville, Florida. You know, got a lot of New Yorkers. I mean, and then so now we're seeing kind of this reverse course. And it's kind of this two-headed monster because you have a risen interest rate environment with runaway inflation and outward migration and the run-ups. A lot of people got the wealth effect because like even you, you bought in 15, you look at your house, you're like, holy crap, my house is doubled. I'm rich. I'm going to go buy some crap. I feel rich. And it was the wealth effect, unrealized wealth, rich on paper. And so there's a lot of things from like as a trained salesman, I look at the psychology of people and the psychology of sales. I always say on my show, once I sell you a house, every time it becomes all about the house. You're tied to that thing every week and you're down at Home Depot, getting a can of paint and a new doorknob and some flour. And, and so people put so much pressure to buy the house in this bubble. The last thing they want to do is give up the house. But we're seeing some areas, that's where I was kind of going, the usual suspects that did this in the last bubble, because there's land available to build on, Vegas, Phoenix, Austin, even Boise. You know, there's a lot of areas now that are registering declines. So real estate's local. All areas behave differently. Some will be recession insulated, some, but none are recession proof. So I think what you'll see is some areas can get hit first. Some areas will get hit last. Some areas will get hit harder. It just all depends on what their local wage growth was in that area. Does it support the home cost? Is your cost to own cheaper than your cost to rent? 
you know, if those there's certain schematics we look at to see, okay, if I'm buying in this area, what makes the most sense? Like, what's this area doing? Are they stuck on market showing price reductions? Are they recording declines? Is my cost to own within their property's rent range? You know, there's certain things that I like to look at. To, but I guess to, to sum it up, everything revolves around the U.S. housing market. If we lose it, we will lose everything. We will be back in another recession. Then it's up to see what leadership does in terms of bailouts. And in previous bubble, the most recent bubble, the biggest housing crash to date until this bubble came along and now threatens to, to exceed it, is we did bailouts in 08, the Obama-backed loan modification program where homeowners could modify their mortgages. It didn't work. We had a foreclosure wave anyway, and a big recession came. So, you know, this would be the first time in history if we can have a soft landing, especially after overheating the biggest asset class in the world, the U.S. housing market. It's a scary, it's a scary prospect. And I don't <laughs> want to scare people. You're looking at, know. You know, no, it, it's, <laughs> it's not like you should be scared. You need to be aware of it because when you're aware, like a lot of people lost a lot of money in the Great Depression, but a lot of people made a lot of money in the Great Depression. Absolutely. And it was the people who were paying attention that made money. And like you and yeah. And like you said, bro, I'm sorry because I gotta jump in because you I just my the brain starts firing. Is that you like yeah, you yeah, asked no. me, like, you must have went through some crap. I did in 08, I bought near the height and I had to dump a house on a short sale. And I didn't understand booms and busts. I'd never lived through a bus cycle as a grown, uh, you know, my parents did, but I just don't remember it. Yeah. You know, you don't remember it when you're not paying the bills. And and so it let, you know, I, I had this euphoric recall of what I went through in 08. And I, I just did, I pulled off a successful short sale. I was just a young guy in moto with a young family. And, uh, you know, I, I remember it got a little tight for me. Uh, I didn't have to lose the house. I was able to do a successful short sale, but it was still sleepless nights and painful because I put so much pressure to buy the house. It was like the house, the house. Then all of a sudden we can't keep the house. We got to dump the house. And my wife at the time, she didn't understand. She's like, oh, everything will be okay. I'm like, no, you don't understand. Kind of have to dump the house. And so, you know, until you live through that kind of scenario you don't understand and so like you said i'm just trying to raise awareness so people aren't a deer in the headlights if or when something like this plays out they're going to be able to operate within it more efficiently because they've listened to people like you or like me that have actually said it in a way that makes sense sometimes we got to slap people in the face with some cold hard facts and wake to get them to wake up and i've wake, woken up a lot of people i believe now the million dollar question is crash or no crash. You have to put a percentage of likely. You do, I do. Everybody has to come in with their own percentage of likelihood and then prepare accordingly. I threw caution to the wind in a way for the most part. This time I'm going a different route. I'm going to prepare for the worst, hope for the best, and hopefully come out somewhere in the middle. It's better to be prepared for something and have it not happen than have something happen and not be prepared. Insulate yourself. Have a little cash reserves. If you can diversify it a little bit, great. If not, just make sure you have a cushion. You're not living paycheck to paycheck, which is going to be hard because many people are finding themselves doing exactly that right now, which again, 
will be bad for the moto industry. It was bad in 08 for the moto industry. Sponsors shrank back. Companies went out of business. It was gnarly. It trickles into everything. So this is cool times to be a part of, like you said, because if you halfway saw this comment, you're not going to be a deer in the headlights. You're going to be able to operate within this. You, For me, I live way, you know, it's a simple thing in life I do now. I don't spend more money than I make. I, you know, there it is. A novel idea. I know. Insane. <laughs> you know, and people got to read up on the business cycle. You've mentioned a couple times the business cycle, which is the boom and bust cycle. I just went through a business degree at my local community college. It's amazing the things that they don't teach you. I got lucky and, and got into libertarian politics and Austrian economics before COVID. So I was pretty primed for this stuff to happen. It's like, oh, look at all the things that they were saying is going to happen is now happening. And man, the business cycle is such a big deal to understand. And even when I went to college, they were like, first off, my microeconomics class was taught by a socialist, which makes a whole lot of sense. But they basically just go, oh, yeah, here's the business cycle. This is what it is. And let's move on. Yeah, exactly. It's like, man, you got to know when I've, I've got buddies who are starting businesses right now. And it's like, dude, this is not the time. This is not. I the mean, time. the best time when I started MotoStar, it was in a recession, like deep, like the weird, like the best time. If you can get your company to stand on its own two feet in a recessionary times, when you get to healthier times, you're going to be cash flowing hard. So the best time to launch, a lot of people say, is in an actual recession, not a boom cycle. I saw many companies fail in the last boom that grew too big. They continued to just like you know, uh, overcommit, over leverage. And then as soon as a shrinking in the economy came, they started throwing people overboard. We're already getting reports of layoffs, sweeping the white collar tech industry. You can get a blue collar wage, blue collar job right now. You can go in the service sector. Those jobs are available. Those are our job numbers. But the white collar jobs, a lot of them are now doing layoffs. And, and so those were the companies that boomed in, in the lockdown environment. And then the service sector got squashed in lockdowns. Now the flip has occurred. We're reopening. So those, those uh, white collar jobs are now reducing. And then the service sector jobs are expanding. So, you know, we got to let this shake out. The dust got to settle. We will pay the piper for stimulus. And there will be some blowback. We now have to monitor and temperature check how, re, uh, how deep it's going to reach. Will bailouts be enough? And, you know, how's this thing shake out? It's going to come. We can't dodge a bullet on this one. We overheated the, the biggest economy in the world, the U.S. economy. And that just isn't going to go without some repercussions. And the fact that we did a complete money dump in the form of doubling the amount of money through stimulus in circulation, our debt sheet is now mathematically impossible to ever balance again. We'll be a debtor nation forever. I mean, there's a lot of things now that you have to understand it's not all rainbows and sunshine just because you have your masks off, man. You've got to let this thing shake out. And we're just at the tail end of a crisis, the front end of a recession that hasn't even been officially announced yet. But we see the cost of living skyrocketing. We know we're in recessionary times. It's just for whatever reason hasn't been announced because if it is announced officially, then people are going to really start to recess and we're going to see this thing really start to you know move towards that and so super interesting times 
exciting times if you can acknowledge the elephant in the room, the first step of getting past the problem, just admit there's a problem. And then maybe you have a chance. But if you're in denial saying no problem here, this time is different, um, you know, you might get a little bit of a shock the way I did in 08. That's all. And it's my job to continue to raise awareness and ring the bell and let people know that, you know, don't let your insides be measured by other people's outsides. You don't have to drive a Tesla. You don't have to live in this certain house. You don't have to have all that to be happy. In fact, it won't make you happy anyway. At the end of the day, you'll just be a debt slave. And that stuff's going to, you're not going to own it. It's just going to own you. I do. I sell houses to people all day, every day. And they don't own their houses. Their houses own them for what I just, you know, communicated to you. Because, And I know what that's like. Because when I bought my house, I was remodeling all the time. Now I care less about my house. I want to go hit the beach and go ride motos. Like, as long as I got enough money to do that, I'll live in a cracker box temporarily. Stack cash and ride off into the sunset later. Sacrifice now. Right off into the sunset later. Everybody wants to look rich now. I want to be rich now. No. So you're getting the cart in front of the horse. But it's just, it's just human nature. It's the way you know, we kind of operate on the human level. But if you, I can bring one person down to earth and just at least let them understand those things and hear somebody talk about things they may have thought and nobody had the guts to say, then I'll keep running my mouth. Um, and then, you know, YouTube's great because I've always been of the mindset I could walk away from YouTube. I'm not a full-time YouTuber. It's, you know, it's like it's just funny money for me. And I do it because I love it. I do it for free. I started doing it for free when I first started. So, you know, as long as you love what you do, you don't work a day in your life. And that's been my story uh, up until, you know, currently. And, you know, helping people's good. It feels good. Uh, I was an AA guy for a long time, not so much anymore, but the whole basis of that program is helping people makes you feel good. So do more of it. And I can't imagine how it feels to get somebody into a house that they can afford to, you know, raise a family in and, and just have a good life. Or, and, or you know, how about this as a salesman? Biggest commissions you'll ever make selling houses, right? That's the biggest purchase people make yeah. in, in their lives. So I live in the million dollar district, so it's cutthroat here. It's an episode of million dollar listing, very superficial. It's gross. But I work for the biggest brokerage <laughs> in the world as well. And um, I enjoy the capacity in which I function now as a real estate professional. I own and operate mixed use commercial property. I'm a licensed real estate agent. I do a big referral network all over the nation with helping people get into the hands of top agents. Uh, it's very satisfying. And like you said, I'm over 20 years. I've been over 20 years since I've had a drink, right? So I, I've crashed and burned, you know, in life before. And then I had to have that, that moment of clarity where I say, you know, I, I got to change. And so, like you said, now my job is to be of service. Some days are more effective than others. I don't always come flying out of bed in the mornings, ready to go find the next person that needs help. Um, you know, but at the end of the day, you're right. You know, if we put others' needs before our own, especially as a real estate agent, I've told people, hey, listen, let's wait. You know, I know you got a pre-approval letter that says I can take you shopping, but I think maybe we should wait. I'll earn your business later if you want to sit this thing out and see how this thing shakes up. And that's really rare you're going to find anybody in sales, much less a real estate agent, say those words. What? 
you'll earn my business later. Like most people are, we get trained weekly sales meetings, how to get people to buy now, not later. I mean, and so for me, it just depends. I'm just going to look at, Hey, how much you putting down? What's your mortgage payment? Just as a security measure, let's check its rent range because something happens to your job. I want to make sure you don't lose the house. You can dump a renter in there and you can go figure things out. Some cracker box somewhere and not lose the home and move back into it later when you get back on your feet. And no agent ever says that because they just limited their buying pool if they did, you know, because that's not going to be the case for a lot of properties. And so if you if your properties don't pencil out to, you know, your payment is above its rent range, you better hope. You better hope this time is different and nothing changes because if you can't rent your house for your payment, you're losing it. Those are just the hard facts. So, you know, you got to now come in swinging, put enough money down on the property, save up more money. So you come in with a down payment that puts it within its rent range if you're carrying a payment. That's the only thing I wish I'd done in a way I'd still have that property today. But I learned an important lesson. I don't regret it now because what I'm learning. So I don't want to go do the same thing over expecting a different result. That would be a definition of insanity. But in this time, that's one of the main things I look at. If I'm buying a property I want to, and I'm carrying a mortgage, it's got to be below its rent range. So I know I sleep better at night. I pulled an insurance policy for myself. If something happens to me or my income, renter goes in, I don't lose the house. Sustainability. I'm all about sustainability. How can I sustain my life without being dependent on other people. Yeah, bro. And I just, I recently just remodeled a room in my house. So I've got no more dining room. I've got a, another master essentially bedroom. So I'm renting three rooms out in the house. My bills are covered and I'm able to do this and talk to great people like you. And, you know, hopefully we're, we're going to move the needle a little bit and we won't own nothing and be happy at some point. Yeah, we might be the, exactly the few, the strong, the brave that are able to go out there and make sure that we don't end up a statistic. And with that being said, man, I got to run, but I do, I want to thank you. Yeah. Hey, I, I would gonna, be, I would be, I was just going to call it. We'll, we'll talk more. Maybe we can do this once a month or once a week because absolutely iron sharpens iron. I mean, I could go all day with you and that's always a good sign of synergy. Yep. And uh, man, it was, a, I didn't even get to any of my questions. I, know, I had so now, 20 questions written down and I didn't add it and I didn't ask any of let's them. Let's just stamp it next week. <laughs> let's do this again. Perfect. Uh, All right. Sounds good. Walter. All right, my talk to you later. I'll talk to you Everybody too. have a good night. Street.